Welcome back to the Off of the Couch podcast. Maggie here. Today's interview is with Brad Marshall, who has a blog called Fire in a Bottle. Brad is a molecular biologist with a genetics degree from Cornell and has worked as a scientist. He's also attended the culinary, French Culinary Institute. He's run a butcher shop and has raised pigs. He's known for his knowledge of fats. We had planned to talk a few weeks ago, but he had to help butcher a cow unexpectedly. He does go through some cell biology in this conversation, but it was pretty interesting, and then we switched and talked about food after that. Here's Brad. Um, so can you start with your backstory, perhaps? Um, how did you start firing a bottle? And um, I'd like to hear a little about the croissant diet. Sure. Um, yeah, so I, I became interested in it. Um, I was a molecular biologist uh, sort of way back when, uh, <laughs> working in labs, and then I'd gone into um, kind of pastured livestock. Um, I was raising, I was raising hogs and running a butcher shop and, you know, I'd always been, uh, I've done low carb dieting in the past. I've struggled with my weight my whole life. Um, and anyway, over the course of, you know, uh, my adulthood, I had gained weight. Um, I gained quite a bit of weight around probably right around the age of 40. Um, and so I was, (laughs) so you know, I, I kind of dug back into my research and was reading some blogs, and especially uh, the blog Hyperlipid by Peter Dropper Milsky. And, um, you know, he was talking a lot about reactive oxygen species production in the mitochondria and, and how saturated fats um, generate them and why, that is, why that's potentially a good thing, right? Uh, reactive oxygen species, the way I was taught about it in college were you know, these scary things that cause cancer basically is how I was sort of introduced to them. Mm-hmm. And he sort of painted them in a new light. And there were some very interesting studies um, w- with mice where they were feeding mice basically a combination of starch and sugar and a, and a long chain saturated fat called stearic acid. And, you know, they basically had ripped abs. I mean, they have no visible fat on them. And there was two different studies that kind of showed this. And that was sort of the kernel of the idea because I also, um, I went to the French Culinary Institute and I, you know, and I've spent a lot of time thinking yeah. about the French diet and the traditional American diet and, and seeing that, you know, there's these whole cultures where they eat, you know, essentially uh, carbs and, and butter and are lean. And that, you know, and, and everybody right. thinks that's the exact thing that you're not supposed to do. And so, you know, the croissant diet was sort of a, um, you know, it, it, was, it was sort of a fusion of my thoughts about the traditional French cuisine and why did that keep people thin versus the modern American diet and, and, and how does that fail? And also, you know, using the, these uh, stearic acid trials from the mice, I just kind of combined the ideas um, and, into something that is obviously yeah. kind of a provocative um, you know, uh, eating croissants to lose weight isn't isn't terribly intuitive, right? 
<laughs> so, yeah, so that was... No, the, it's, uh, it's tempting. It's definitely tempting. <laughs> it does sound delicious. <laughs> well, you know, you know, it's funny. After I, after I published that, um, I, I got many an- anecdotes from people saying that, you know, they lost weight while they were in France. Um, I, I can't tell you how many anecdotes I, I got from various people like that. Uh, which is, and they would say, you know, I went to normally in the U.S. I'm very strict about my diet, but I went to France and I, you know, I was on vacation, so I didn't worry about it. And I ate, I ate the croissants and I ate the bread and I drank the wine. And, you know, when I came back home, I'd lost 10 pounds. Yeah. Uh, and so that, you know, there, there's, yeah. something, there's, there's something there. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, I wonder if that's because here we were on sort of a low-fat, processed, you know, butter spray and stuff. And then, you know, to go there, they probably use real oils and real fat and probably animal fats. And oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I remember it, 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 when, I, when I first went to the French Culinary Institute, I was, uh, you know, I was really on a very low-fat diet. And I remember every recipe started with saute bacon in butter. That was the first step in every recipe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It must have been uh, um, quite a shock, right? No mozzarella, corn oil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. And that, and so, right, and so then as my, um, the more that I've thought about this, I'm, you know, in recent times, so the, Right. The, the counter argument is that, or I guess my basic argument is that the difference between the obesity that we see in America and, and the sort of lack of obesity that was traditionally seen in France is the type of oils used and especially uh, the polyunsaturated fats in, in the corn oil and in the soybean oil. Um, and it's interesting. I, I've been recently on my blog, I've been doing a deep dive into really <laughs> you know what what is it really about these oils that's that's making the difference mm-hmm. and it's um you know it's sort of not the the you know the the hyperlipid idea is that um the the unsaturated oils are not generating as many reactive oxygen species um in the mitochondria and so then, you know, I've been looking at that, and, and I think that that's at least partially true. Um, and what happens is the way that we get rid of the reactive oxygen species, it turns out, uh, replenishes our NAD+. Plus. And so, you know, anyone who's um, done a lot of research about, you know, aging and and sort of health in general, it's hard not to come across articles about NAD plus um, and NADH. And one of the things that happens is we build up NADH. And NADH is sort of, uh, it's sort of potential energy. NADH goes to the, um, the electron transport chain and we use it to make ATP, right? And so, so it seems like what happens in obesity is, and diabetes and a lot of other um, a lot of other issues like Alzheimer's disease is we have this, we wind up with this buildup of NADH 
in ourselves, which is essentially energy. Um, so we kind of end up with this energy overload in our mitochondria and in our cells, and then our cells use that to uh, – they use it to make fat, essentially. So if you look at people who are obese or diabetic, they're, they're doing a lot more of what's called de novo lipogenesis, which literally just means making new fat. And, um, and the reason that they're doing that is that you wind up with this buildup of NADH in the cell. And, and it turns out that in a healthy individual who's making a lot of reactive oxygen species, um, what that does is it, is it actually oxidizes the NADH back to NAD+. So, so the generation of the reactive oxygen species from eating the saturated fat, assuming that you're healthy when you start out, um, what that's doing is it's reducing the NADH and it's increasing the NAD+. Um, and, that it, and so with, you, need, you essentially need NAD+, to run your metabolism. Um, all of your foods, carbohydrates, and fat go through something called uh, the TCA cycle or the Krebs cycle, and that's how we make, that's how we make ATP. And every, they basically all get made into acetyl-CoA, and then acetyl-CoA needs three NAD plus uh, to, to become fully, you know, burned. And if you, if you have too much of the NADH, it slows that down. It slows down your metabolism. So, so too much NADH means that instead of, instead of burning fuel to give you energy, you wind up storing fuel as fat. And, and, and that is how, and the, like I say, it's really the interplay between these reactive oxygen species and the NAD plus and NADH levels that I think is causing the difference between the, um, yeah, the pattern of obesity that we traditionally saw in France and the pattern of obesity that we currently mm-hmm. see in the U.S. Right. Okay, it's oh, you're a little. Uh, well, I'm not a molecular biologist, but I, I got the gist of that. But um, pretend I'm in elementary school. But um, I did, I did get get that. But uh, yeah, my chemistry is um, way yeah. in my past. So, um, what? So to keep it in like food terms, what what kind of oils do you use when you cook, and what kind of um, and I kind of wanted to get into your farming a little bit too, like what, sure. what animals should be eating or what kind of animals should we be eating? Yes. And so the, the main thing is to avoid uh, the polyunsaturated fats. So um, where do we find those? Well, obviously they're in soybean oil. They're in any of the vegetable oils, you know, sunflower oil is one you see kind of often safflower oil. Uh, I avoid all of those and those are hard to avoid. Um, you know, anytime you eat at a restaurant, um, yeah. you, order, you order eggs, right? Well, what are the eggs cooked in? They're probably cooked in soybean oil. Um, and, and eggs can absorb a lot of oil, yeah. right? And so, okay. and so you, can, you can think that you're doing the right thing but still be getting a lot of these oils. You know, if you go to, if you go to a restaurant and order the sautéed vegetables, you know, they're probably sautéed in soybean oil. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so restaurants are hard. Um, 
And then yeah. right. So and then and then obviously, you know, salad dressings, mayonnaise, um, right. any kind of most kind of spreads, you know, are often um, hummus is full of soybean oil. You know, so there's a lot of things out there that um, where soybean oil is kind of sneaking in, right? Um, and so. So that's the thing. But then also what happens is that when we feed livestock um, these polyunsaturated fats, and it's usually, it's usually, so corn is, you know, it's not that oily. It's only like 5% oil, but when you feed it to animals, feed it to livestock, they kind of bioaccumulate it. And so, so that's where you see, um, you know, a lot of modern hogs are like, the fat is maybe 16 or 17 percent polyunsaturated fat, and um, poultry fat can be even higher. It can be up to 25 uh, percent polyunsaturated fat, and that's and that's quite a bit. Um, you know, that's about that's around the same amount as canola oil, um, which is a vegetable oil. And so, wow. so depending on what you feed the animals, they can be pretty high in polyunsaturated fat. And so, you know, my favorite fats are butter. Um, cocoa butter. Uh, cocoa butter is actually a oh. a really good source of of stearic acid. Um, it, it's probably out of the most you know. It's in chocolate. Hmm. Um, is made with cocoa butter, and so that was one that is an interesting. Um, you know, if you want a good all natural source of high stearic acid, uh, cocoa butter is a nice one. You know, what people add it to their use it in their coffee. Um, you can actually cook with it if if you get the um well if you get a version that's more kind of processed deodorized or whatever it doesn't it doesn't have the 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 chocolate flavor and you can you can saute with it and it's pretty good um so yeah butter cocoa butter uh i like um beef suet is is the fat from uh um it's actually from the like it's from a they call it kidney fat um, cause it's on the internal part of the animal. Um, uh, and that's the most saturated fat Ooh. from, uh, it's far more saturated than like the fat that's on a steak or in, in ground beef. Um, and, and <laughs> you know, it's, it's a funny thing, right? Um, everybody says, well, you know, avoid animal fat because it's saturated. Um, but most animal fats are only about 40, are only about 40% saturated, um, they're mostly monounsaturated, which is what olive oil is. Um, and so, and this is a little, <laughs> this is a controversial thing that I say, um, that, that most people, whether or not you're coming from sort of more of a, of a keto mindset or a, uh, you know, plant-based mindset, the one thing people can sort of agree on is, <laughs> is the monounsaturated fats like olive oil. Um, I actually don't love them. Right. Um, you know, there's a lot of studies. Okay. You know, it's very easy to show in in mice, and you know, that may or may not translate to humans, right? And that's and that's the caveat. But but it's very easy to show in mice that olive oil is actually yeah. quite fattening, um, and that monounsaturated oh. fats are are actually quite fattening. And if you look at the kind of science of how like I was saying the, the monounsaturated fats are like the polyunsaturated fats in that they don't they don't drive the reactive oxygen species and so 
they they don't have a good effect on your on your NAD plus levels. Um, so I, I don't I don't I don't eat much olive oil or um, you know avocado oil is popular right now. I don't I don't eat them. Uh, yeah. I don't think that we need. I don't. I just don't see the need to be eating a lot of monounsaturated fat. I guess. Okay. You know, even though it's nice, even though it's nice it's for interesting. Salad dressing, uh, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what, what I do, salad dressing. So, what kind of salad so dressing I, do you use, or do you make? So, right. So, what I'll use for salad dressing is um, uh, I use sour cream. Um, you know, I have yeah, I, like I make a I make good. a blue cheese dressing, which is basically you take mm-hmm. a pound of sour cream and you add like four ounces of crumbled blue cheese and a splash of vinegar and salt, and it's it's great. <laughs> um, it's very easy. Or you can just use yeah sour sour cream and the like powdered ranch dressing mix. You know what I mean? I, they have it at the grocery store. It's like I don't know ranch seasoning yeah, flavor, you know, yeah. in a little. In a yeah. little packet, you just add that to some sour cream, and so the, so that's what I do for salads. Um, I don't eat tons of salads, but um, but when I do, <laughs> that's that's what I use. Or you can use the um, like taco seasoning and sour cream if you want to make like a taco salad, which uh, are very good. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, yeah our sour like a, cream mixed with salsa is pretty good. Too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, um, exactly. Exactly. So what kind of um now do you raise your own meat? So I did I did for a long time. Um I raised hogs here, pastured mm-hmm. hogs here for about fifteen years. Uh I well basically my business my old business uh folded and so I kinda got out of that entirely and I okay. um and my new venture I well <laughs> it's funny the uh in my old business, I made acquaintance of a farmer, and he's actually in Illinois. Um, and he's a he's a smart guy. He reminds like he reminds me of myself. He's knows a ton about feeding animals and the, all of the chemistry behind it and the and generating feeds. And uh, I was working with him to get certain feeds that I wanted, and we started talking afterwards. And I said, "Well, I have this new idea." And I said, "Maybe you know he's." very connected to the, um, to the kind of Illinois, um, or, or Midwestern grain processing. And so he has access to all of these very interesting feeds. And one of the, one of the feeds he has access to is, um, what's called pea starch, which is basically left over. Um, you know, they, they take whole peas and they make, I think they make pea protein isolate, and so they separate it into the components, and right. and this pea starch is a waste product. And so, you know, I feel good about mm-hmm. feeding it to the pigs because it's a you know it's a waste product anyways, right? It's a byproduct of human food manufacture, and it's basically free of yeah. oil. You know, so so corn is five percent oil, mm-hmm. mostly polyunsaturated, and this pea starch has zero oil in it. And so that so that pea starch is the Kind of the basis of the diet that we're feeding our pigs um, at Firebrand Meats, um, and you know we're trying to get the polyunsaturated fat out of the out of the pork. I call it low poofa pork 
P-U-F-A. PUFA just means polyunsaturated fatty acids. And so, and, and PUFA mm-hmm. is a very interesting thing because it's really the only, it's really the only thing that you eat that, that kind of bioaccumulates. Well, except for maybe, <laughs> except mm-hmm. for maybe certain toxins like forever chemicals. But um, you know what I mean though? But it's like yeah. you can eat starch all day, but you don't, accumulate the starch, right? You only have a small amount of glycogen or, or you can eat other things. You can eat protein, but you won't, you know, you don't really accumulate protein. You just have whatever your body keeps around. But if you eat these polyunsaturated fats, they can accumulate. Um, and so a pig that eats or a chicken that's eating, you know, maybe 3% of its diet is polyunsaturated fat might have 15 or 25 percent of polyunsaturated fat in its in its fat stores and so and and so animals can't make polyunsaturated fats they have to get them from their diet and so we're just basically feeding them (laughs) feeding them this diet where they you know it's not zero polyunsaturated fat um unfortunately um you know the we have to mix combine the pea starch with other things we use some barley um and so I haven't figured out a way to make a completely zero polyunsaturated fat diet yet, but uh, but but we do the testing in our probably quite a bit better. Yeah, like we I sent mine in for testing, and my fat was about six percent polyunsaturated fat, um, and I sent some Smithfield bacon that I rendered the fat out and sent that, and and they were at about sixteen percent. Um, so you know we're probably okay. We're, we're significantly lower, you know, well under, we have maybe 35 to 40% as much polyunsaturated fat as, as most commercial bacon does, you know. Um, and I've sent a few more samples, and I think that number of around 15 to 18% for, is, is true of most commercial um, pork on the market. And I think we're, we're down around six. So, you know, I feel I feel pretty good about that. Um, the, our last batch of pigs are we raised them bigger, and you know mm-hmm. what happens is is that as the animals get larger, they actually um, they actually add a little bit of of back fat, um, and that back fat is mostly from you know it's it's being produced by the animal. It's not coming from their diet so much as they get bigger. So. I think, I hope, my fingers are crossed, that this last batch of pigs that's actually being processed today, um, that that fat is going to be even lower in linoleic acid than any of our previous batches. Uh, so I'm excited to get that back. It's going to be a week or two before I have it in my hands and then probably another month after that before we can get testing results back. But, uh, but I'm very excited about it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, because even around here, like if you go to a farmer's market and they have maybe pigs that run outside or chicken chickens that are that you know um, are let out cage free roaming, but they are still feeding them, uh, you know, pig pellets and corn usually, which I believe have some kind of soybean oil in the pellets. Is that correct? And same with the chickens. Yeah, and so of course, right? Of course, those diets are, are almost always based on corn, and so they're going to have 
you know, they're going to have about 5% oil minimum. Um, almost every, almost every chicken diet in the U S has supplemental oil in it. Um, so they're adding additional vegetable right. oil on top of what's already there, uh, in the corn. And, and the reason for that is just that, um, you know, they have these national poultry feeding standards and, right. and, and, and they determined a long time ago that if you add a little, if you add 5% additional oil to the diet, that the chickens will grow faster. And so they put that into the national standard and every feed mill and every livestock nutritionist, you know, in the U S refers to that standard. Right. And so, um, and so basically, so essentially what that means is every single chicken diet that you can buy has supplemental mm. vegetable oil in it, period, in the U.S., <laughs> you know, full stop. And, and it's a really hard problem right. to break because, you know, the people who run the mills, you know, they don't want to get sued, right? So they're going to consult a livestock nutritionist, and the livestock nutritionist is going to go by the standard. And the standard says you have to add 5% vegetable oil, you know. <laughs> so you can't – so you literally can't buy chicken yeah. meat that doesn't have 5% supplemental vegetable oil. Yeah. So if, if a product is labeled pastured chicken, is it – is that usually 100% or do they usually have... Well, so chickens, chickens, okay. So the modern broiler chicken, right, that we call pastured chicken is, is um, you know, in the 1950s and 60s, we remade chickens, right? Like it, it used to take uh, six months to grow a chicken to, you know, where it would be a four or five pound roaster. Now that process happens in about six weeks. And so those chickens, you know, they're, they're baby chickens at the, at the day of slaughter. Like, they don't have their adult feathers yet. Um, that happens at about eight weeks. And <laughs> the chickens that grow that fast are just simply not going to get much nutrition from pasture. You know, pasture is not a dense enough source of nutrition. And so those, those chickens are getting 99% of their nutrition from a pelleted mix and they're getting 1% from pasture, you know, it's just impossible to get a bird that grows that fast on any, any kind of, you know, they just need, you know, right. They need, uh, they need high octane fuel and, and you're going to get that from, you know, pelleted chicken feed. You're not going to get that from pasture. Um, and that's just sort of the nature of the modern broiler chicken. Right. And so the, you know, so you can put a chicken on pasture, yeah. but it, it doesn't, it doesn't change. I mean, and it's a nicer system. It's nice that they, you know, have fresh air, um, et cetera, yeah. but, eat some you know, bugs and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And they're going to get some bugs and, and et cetera, but, um, it, it's, it's, it's a very small percent of, of their, of their overall diet. You know, mostly those chickens are just eating pellets and all of those pellets, like I say, have, yeah. 10, 10% vegetable oil in them. And then that's going to accumulate, you know, and, and, and to make matters worse. Um, and this is unfortunate. And like I say, I, you know, I, I've run 
<laughs> I ran a local meat butcher shop for years. I've sold tons and tons of pastured chicken. And so uh, the, the reason I say all this is because I've, you know, I've been around and I've seen it. <laughs> and I don't like to uh, sort of tell the bad news about, you know, about local products and people that are trying to do it the right way. But we also have to be realistic, right? And, and this is what it is. Um, but what I was going to say is that, unfortunately, sometimes the organic chicken is even worse because uh, when, when we feed the animal, so we feed the animal soybean meal. And the, and the reason for that is we need the protein. Um, you know, especially chickens need a lot more protein than they're going to get from corn. And so the soybean meal has a nice protein supplement to the corn. And when you buy commercial uh, soybean meal, they've, they chemically extract the oil from, from that soybean meal. And so, um, so, you know, if, if you buy just regular commercial feed um, for pigs or chickens, the soybean meal itself doesn't have any oil in it. Uh, the soybean, even though soybeans are oily, they have about 20% oil. Um, after that chemical extraction, the soybean meal is almost oil-free. And, and that's, how we get so, you know, that's how we get soybean oil that we feed to humans, right, that we make mm. uh, yeah. salad dressing out of, et cetera, and what we have in restaurant deep fryers. Um, but, <laughs> but that's an industrial process. And that oil extraction only happens in a handful of factories in the U.S. And organic... Uh, organic mills don't have access to these large facilities that extract the soybean oil. And so, so typically they, put, they feed the chickens whole roasted soybeans instead of soybeans that's had the oil extracted. And so sometimes uh, the organic feeds are actually higher in polyunsaturated fat than just regular commercial chickens, unfortunately. Um, Oh, that's interesting. So that's yeah. – <laughs> right. And then, and then there's the sort of intermediate, which is um, if you have non-GMO feed, right, and then th- there's, there's no mm-hmm. telling. <laughs> we, I, we used to do non-GMO pork, and we used a little bit of soybean meal, not much, and we got it out of a place in Michigan mm-hmm. where they were extracting all of the oil chemically, and so it was a very low PUFA – um, non-GMO soybean meal, but of course not everyone has access. Like I said, there's just one plant in the U.S. that does it, I think. Not everyone has access to it. You know, we, we were shipping it in tractor-trailer truck loads. Obviously not everyone, you know, ha- has the capacity to, to take a tractor-trailer load of this non-GMO uh, soybean meal that's had the oil extracted. And so, um, so if the feed is non-GMO, you know, unfortunately, it's also sort of suspect um, in terms of how much oil was okay. in the, the soybean meal component of the feed. And so it is, it is really kind of a multifaceted problem. Um, yeah. And, and you so know, one you of the... you mostly eat your own pork? <laughs> I do, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to talk about chicken, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I guess yeah. what we should say is that, you know, the other trend 
so as the as the you know as the obesity epidemic has kind of raged on right there's been two trends one mm-hmm. is increase in vegetable oil consumption itself right but the other trend has been ever increasing consumption of chicken right and so yeah, um, right. and so i think i think that the the polyunsaturated fat it is coming in from vegetable oil, but if you look at people's diets, you know, uh, poultry is often a pretty significant uh, contributor. And, you know, if you only eat the um, kind of boneless, skinless chicken breast, which is low in fat in general, you know, you're not getting that much polyunsaturated fat. But, you know, if you're eating a whole roasted chicken or okay. a rotisserie chicken or you know, or chicken wings or anything that has the skin on. Um, yeah, it, it can be quite a bit of polyunsaturated fat. And so, yeah, and so that's why I, I mostly no, eat. Uh, yeah, so I mostly stick with, with, sure, with beef and the pork that I grow. Um, I, I did do an experiment with um, a sort of low PUFA chicken diet, uh, Last summer, it wasn't as low as I hoped. It was a little bit. It was like 14%, which is lower than a lot of commercial chicken, I think. But um, I'm I'm hoping that I can do better. I'm trying to sort of scheming about how to do that. But (laughs) chickens, I think, are more likely, for whatever reason, to, uh, uh, to kind of accumulate the, the polyunsaturated fats than than pigs are in general, I think, for, you know, for whatever reason. I don't really know why. It just yeah. seems to be how it is. Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay, well, tell us where um, where we can find your blog, and are you still selling uh, meat at Firebrand Meat? Yeah, so, um, right, so the blog is Fire in a Bottle. Uh, that's fireinabottle.net. And um, I actually have a new youtube channel which i'm very excited about um if you just go to youtube and google for fire in a bottle you know it'll it'll come up um I, it, it is pretty nerdy the blog is the fire in a bottle blog is a lot more of the you know the molecular biology and the reactive oxygen species and the nad plus although mm-hmm. i did just start um an article about the historical use of of pork in in china interestingly so um yeah, like I say, I, I am very interested in traditional diets around the world and sort of how they, you know, how they work as a whole, not just individual parts and sort of how pork fits into the traditional, both the sort of ecology and economy of China and, and the role that it plays in the diet. So um, that was just published at uh, the beginning of this month or probably the beginning of, or probably in August, late August. Um, so that's fun. If people want the more agriculture stuff, I'm going to be writing more about that. And um, yeah, and so Firebrand Meats is the is where I sell the pork. It's firebrandmeats.com. Um, and those kind of, you know, you basically you can buy a box of 10 or 30 pounds um, and it ships to the lower, the lower 48 states. Um, and so you can, mm-hmm. yeah, you can get the meat there. Like I said, the pigs are getting processed today and the next batch will ship in the next week or two. Um, so, yeah, that's exciting. And, um, yeah, I mean, we're going to keep working on the chickens. 
Mm. And if people want to follow along, I'm, I'm pretty uh, – uh, I'm on Twitter a lot. So that my Twitter handle is fire underscore bottle, and Instagram is fire underscore in a bottle. And if people, there's a great discussion site called R, on Reddit called r slash saturated fat that uh, people talk a lot about these topics, the stearic acid and the – Right, of uh, the different fat in, in poultry and pork. So, uh, yeah, that's another place to kind of follow the discussion. Oh, very interesting. Yes, I kept trying to um, go to fireinabottle.com, and it was just a uh, uh, somebody else's <laughs> website that's a brand of oil that's very hot. <laughs> Habanero oil, so don't go there. Yeah, yeah, not, not .com. <laughs> okay. Takeaways. Quality of fat matters. If you have vegetable oil or soybean oil in your house, throw it out. I don't think olive oil and avocado oil cause inflammation, but I'm not a molecular biologist, and you may want to follow Brad for more information on fats. In general, keep in mind if it has to be processed in a factory instead of a farm, consider the quality before you eat it. Another idea is to eat lean meats and then add fat that you get from reputable sources, like from uh, firebrand meats or uh, good quality beef tallow. Animal fat has been vilified when we mistakenly switched to margarine, Crisco, corn oil, and all that factory-made stuff years ago. We thought it was healthier because it was supposedly made from vegetables. Hmm, which vegetables? If vegetables are fat-free, what is vegetable oil? Well, that's a topic for another day. I do suggest checking out Brad's uh, website and his information. And yes, I was hoping he would give us permission to eat unlimited croissants, but he doesn't exactly say that either. Thanks again for listening to the Off of the Couch podcast. Take a small step. See you next week.